0: Act Four of *The Conscious Lovers* by Richard Steele. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act the Fourth, Scene One, Beville Junior's Lodgings. Beville Junior, with a letter in his hand, followed by Tom.
1: Upon my life, sir, I know nothing of the matter. I never opened my lips to Master Myrtle about anything of your honest letter to Madame Lucinda. What's the fool in such a fright for? I don't suppose you did.
2: What I would know is whether Mr. Myrtle shows any suspicion, or asked you any questions, to lead you to say casually that you had carried any such letter for me this morning.
1: Why, sir, if he did ask me any
2: questions, how could I help it? I don't say you could, Oaf. I'm not questioning you, but him. What did he say to you?
1: Why, sir, when I came to his chambers to be dressed for the lawyer's part, Your Honour was pleased to put me upon, he asked me if I had been at Master Sealand's this morning. So I told him, sir, I often went thither, because, sir, if I had not said that, he might have thought there was something more in my going now than at another time. Very well. Aside
2: a fellow's caution i find has given him this jealousy did he ask you no other questions
1: yes sir now i remember as we came away in the hackney-coach from master Cedans, tom says he as i came in to your master this morning he bade you go for an answer to a letter you had sent pray did you bring him any says he ah says i sir your honour is pleased to joke with me you have a mind to know whether i can keep a secret or no and so by showing him you could
2: you told him you had one Uh, sir what mean actions does jealousy make a man stoop to how poorly has he used art with a servant to make him betray his master well and when did he give you this letter for me
1: sir he writ it before he pulled off his lawyer's gown at his own chambers
2: very well and what did he say when you brought him my answer to it he looked a little out of humour sir and said it was very well i knew he would be grave upon. wait without
1: hmm. Get! i don't like this i am afraid we are all in the wrong box here
0: exit tom
2: i put on a serenity while my fellow was present but i have never been more thoroughly disturbed this hot man to write me a challenge on supposed artificial dealing when i professed myself his friend i can live contented without glory but i cannot suffer shame what's to be done but first let me consider lucinda's letter again reads sir i hope it is consistent with the laws a woman ought to impose upon herself to acknowledge that your manner of declining a treaty of marriage in our family and desiring the refusal may come from me has something more engaging in it than the courtship of him who i fear will fall to my lot except your friend exerts himself for our common safety and happiness i have reasons for desiring mr myrtle may not know of this letter till hereafter and i am your most obliged humble servant lucinda sealand well but the postscript reads i won't upon second thoughts hide anything from you but my reason for concealing this is that mr myrtle has a jealousy in his temper which gives me some terrors but my esteem for him inclines me to hope that only an ill effect which sometimes accompanies a tender love and what may be cured by a careful and unblameable conduct thus has this lady made me her friend and confidant, and put herself in a kind under my protection i cannot tell him immediately the purport of her letter except i would cure him of the violent and untractable passion of jealousy and so serve him and her by disobeying her in the article of secrecy more than i should by complying with her directions but then this duelling which custom has imposed upon every man who would live with reputation and honour in the world how must i preserve myself from imputations there he'll forsooth Call it, or think it fear, if I explain without fighting. But his letter, I'll read
0: it again. Reads.
2: Sir, you have used me basely in corresponding and carrying on a treaty where you told me you were indifferent. I have changed my sword since I saw you, which advertisement I thought proper to send you against the next meeting between you and the injured. Charles Myrtle.
0: Enter Tom
2: master myrtle sir would your honour please to see him why you stupid creature let mr myrtle wait at my lodgings show him up
0: exit tom
2: well i am resolved upon my carriage to him he is in love and in every circumstance of life a little distrustful which i must allow for but here he is
0: enter tom introducing myrtle
2: sir i am extremely obliged to you for this honour To Tom. But, sir, you, with your very discerning face, leave the room.
0: Exit Tom.
2: Well, Mr. Myrtle, your command's with me.
3: The time, the place, our long acquaintance, and many other circumstances which affect me on this occasion, oblige me, without further ceremony or conference, to desire you would not only, as you already have, acknowledge the receipt of my letter, but also comply with the request in it, I must have farther notice taken of my message than these half lines. I have
2: yours. I shall be at home. Sir, I own I have received a letter from you, in a very unusual style, but as I design, everything in this matter shall be your own action, your own seeking. I shall understand nothing but what you are pleased to confirm face to face, and I have already forgot the contents of your epistle
3: this cool manner is very agreeable to the abuse you have already made of my simplicity and frankness and i see your moderation tends to your advantage and not mine to your own safety not consideration of your friend
2: my own safety mr myrtle
3: your own safety mr beville
2: look you mr myrtle there's no disguising that i understand what you would be at but sir you know i have often dared to disapprove of the decisions a tyrant custom has introduced to the breach of all laws both divine and human
3: mr bevel mr bevel it would be a good first principle in those who have so tender a conscience that way to have as much abhorrence of doing injuries as f- as what as fear of answering for him
2: as fear of answering for him but that apprehension is just or blamable, according to the object of that fear i have often told you in confidence of heart i abhorred the daring to offend the author of life and rushing into his presence i say by the very same act to commit the crime against him and immediately to urge on to his tribunal
3: mr beville i must tell you this coolness this gravity this show of conscience shall never cheat me of my mistress you have indeed the best excuse for life the hopes of possessing lucinda but consider sir i have as much a reason to be weary of it if i am to lose her and my first attempt to recover her shall be to let her see the dauntless man who is to be her guardian and protector
2: sir show me but the least glimpse of argument that i am authorized by my own hand to vindicate any lawless insult of this nature and i will show thee to chastise thee hardly deserves the name of courage slight inconsiderate man there is mr myrtle no such terror in quick anger and you shall you know not why be cool as you have
3: you know not why been warm
4: is the woman one loves so little an
3: occasion for anger you perhaps who know not what it is to love
4: who have your ready your commodious your foreign trinket for your loose hours and from your fortune your specious outward carriage and utter lucky circumstances as easy a way to the possession of a woman of honour you know nothing of what it is to be alarmed to be distracted with anxiety and terror of losing more than life your marriage happy man goes on like common business and in the interim, you have your rambling captive, your Indian princess, for your soft moments of dalliance, your convenient,
3: your ready Indiana.
4: You
2: have touched me beyond the patience of a man, and I am excusable in the guard of innocence, or from the infirmity of human nature, which can bear no more, to accept your invitation and observe your letter. Sir, I'll attend you.
0: Enter Tom.
2: Did you call, sir?
1: Uh, i thought you did i heard you speak aloud yes go call a coach sir master uh, master myrtle friends gentlemen what do you mean i am but a servant or call a coach
0: exit tom a long pause walking sullenly by each other aside
2: shall i though provoked to the uttermost recover myself at the entrance of a third person and at my servant too and not have respect enough to all i have ever been receiving from infancy the obligation to the best of fathers to an unhappy virgin too whose life depends on mine
0: shutting the door to myrtle
2: i have thank heaven had time to recollect myself and shall not for fear of what such a rash man as you think of me Keep longer unexplained the false appearances under which your infirmity of temper makes you suffer, when perhaps too much regard to a false point of honour makes me prolong the suffering.
3: I am sure Mr. Beville cannot doubt, but I had rather have satisfaction from his innocence than his sword.
2: Why then would you ask it first that way?
3: Consider, you kept your temper yourself no longer till I spoke to the disadvantage of her you loved.
2: True, but let me tell you, I have saved you from the most exquisite distress. Even though you had succeeded in the dispute, I know you so well that I am sure to have found this letter about a man you had killed would have been worse than death to yourself. Read it. Aside, when he is thoroughly mortified, and shame has got the better of jealousy, when he has seen himself throughly, he will deserve to be assisted towards obtaining Lucinda.
0: Myrtle, aside.
4: (gasps) With what a superiority he has turned the injury on me. As the aggressor, I begin to fear I have been too far transported. A treaty in our family? Is not that saying too much? I shall relapse. But I find, on the postscript, something like jealousy. With what face can I see my benefactor, my advocate, whom I have treated like a betrayer? Oh, Beville! with what words shall i there needs
2: none to convince is much more than to conquer
4: but can you
2: you have o'erpaid the inquietude you gave me in the change i see in you toward me alas what machines are we thy face is altered to that of another man to that of my companion my friend
4: that i could be such a precipitant wretch pray no more Let me reflect on how many friends have died by the hands of friends for want of temper, and you must give me leave to say again and again how much I am beholden to that superior spirit you have subdued me with. What had become of one of us, or perhaps both, had you been as weak as I was, and as incapable of reason?
2: I congratulate to us both the escape from ourselves, and hope the memory of it will make us dearer friends than ever
4: dear bevel your friendly conduct has convinced me that there is nothing manly but what is conducted by reason and agreeable to the practice of virtue and justice and yet how many have been sacrificed to that idol the unreasonable opinion of men nay they are so ridiculous in it that they often use their swords against each other with dissembled anger and real fear Betrayed by honor and compelled by shame, they hazard being to preserve a name; nor dare inquire into the dread mistake till plunged in sad eternity they wake.
0: Exeunt. Scene two, St James's Park. Enter Sir John Beville and Mr. Sealand.
5: Give me leave, however, Mr. Sealand, as we are upon a treaty for uniting our families, to mention only the business of an ancient house genealogy and descent are to be of some consideration in an affair of this sort
6: genealogy and descent so there has been in our family a very large one there was gulfred the father of edward the father of ptolemy the father of crassus the father of earl richard the father of henry the marquis the father of duke john what do you rave
5: mr sealand
6: all these great names in your family These. Yes, sir. I've heard my father name em all, and more.
5: Aye, sir. And did he say they were all in your family? Yes,
6: sir. He kept them all. He was the greatest cocker in England. He said Duke John won him many battles, and never lost one. Oh, sir, your servant.
5: You are laughing at my laying any stress upon descent. But I must tell you, sir, I never knew any one but he that wanted that
6: advantage turn it into ridicule. And I never knew any one who had better advantages put that into his account. But, Sir John, value yourself as you please upon your ancient house, and talk freely of everything you are pleased to put into your bill of rates on this occasion. Yet, sir, I have made no objections to your son's family. Tis his morals that I doubt. Sir?
5: i can't help saying that what might injure a citizen's credit may be no stain to a gentleman's honour
6: sir john the honour of a gentleman is liable to be tainted by as small a matter as the credit of a trader we are talking of a marriage and in such a case the father of a young woman will not think it an addition to the honour or credit of her lover that he is a keeper
5: mr Sealand don't take
6: upon you to spoil my son's marriage with any woman else sir john let him apply to any woman else and have as many mistresses as he pleases
5: my son sir is a discreet and sober gentleman
6: sir i never saw a man that wenched soberly and discreetly that ever left it off the decency observed in the practice hides even from the sinner the iniquity of it they pursue it not that their appetites hurry him away but i warrant you because tis their opinion they may do it
5: were what you suspect a truth do you design to keep your daughter a virgin till you find a man unblemished that way
6: sir as much as sit as you take me for i know the town and the world and give me leave to say that we merchants are a species of gentry that have grown into the world this last century and are as honourable and almost as useful as you landed folks that have always thought yourselves so much above us for your trading forsooth is extended no farther than a load of hay or a fat ox you are pleasant people indeed because you are generally bred up to be lazy therefore i warrant you industry is dishonourable
5: be not offended sir Let us go back to our point.
6: Oh, not at all offended, but I don't love to leave any part of the account unclosed. Look you, Sir John, comparisons are odious, and more particularly so on occasions of this kind, when we are projecting races that are to be made out of both sides of the comparisons.
5: But my son, sir, is, in the eye of the world, a gentleman of merit.
6: I own to you, I think him so. But, Sir John, I am a man exercised and experienced in chances and disasters. I lost in my earlier years a very fine wife, and with her a poor little infant. This makes me, perhaps, overcautious to preserve the second bounty of providence to me, and be as careful as I can of this child. You will pardon me. "'My poor girl, sir, is as valuable to me as your boasted son to you.'
5: "'Why, that's one very good reason, Mr. Sealand. why I wish my son had her.'
6: "'There is nothing but this strange lady here, this incognita, that can be objected to him. Here and there a man falls in love with an artful creature, and gives up all the motives of life to that one passion.'
5: a man of my son's understanding cannot be supposed to be one of them
6: very wise men have been so enslaved and when a man marries with one of them upon his hands whether moved from the demand of the world or slighter reasons such a husband soils with his wife for a month perhaps and then good be way, madam the show's over ah oh, john dryden points out such a husband to a hare when he says and while abroad so prodigal the dolt is, poor spouse at home, as ragged as a colt, is. Now, in plain terms, sir, I shall not care to have my poor girl turned a-grazing, and that must be the case when— But, pray consider, sir, my son— Look, you sir, I'll make the matter short. This unknown lady, as I told you, is all the objection I have to him. But— one way or other he is or has been certainly engaged to her i am therefore resolved this very afternoon to visit her now from her behaviour or appearance i shall soon be let into what i may fear or hope for
5: sir i am very confident there can be nothing inquired into relating to my son that will not upon being understood turn to his advantage
6: i hope that as sincerely as you believe it sir john beville when i am satisfied in this great point if your son's conduct answers the character you give him i shall wish your alliance more than that of any gentleman in great britain and so your servant exit
5: he is gone in a way but barely civil but his great wealth and the merit of his only child the heiress of it are not to be lost for a little peevishness.
0: And to Humphrey.
5: Ah, Humphrey, you are come in a seasonable minute. I want to talk to thee, and to tell thee that my head and heart are on the rack about my son.
7: Sir, you may trust his discretion. I am sure you may.
5: Why, I do believe I may, and yet I'm in a thousand fears when I lay this vast wealth before me. When I consider his prepossessions... Either generous to a folly in an honorable love, or abandoned past redemption in a vicious one, and from the one or the other, his insensibility to the fairest prospects towards doubling our estate. A father who knows how useful wealth is, and how necessary even to those who despise it. I say, a father, Humphrey,
7: a father cannot bear it. Be not transported, sir, you will grow incapable of taking any resolution in your perplexity. Yet,
5: as angry as I am with him, I would not have him surprised in anything. This mercantile rough man may go grossly into the examination of this matter, and talk to the gentlewoman so as to— No, I hope not in an abrupt manner. No, I hope not. Why, dost thou
7: know anything of her, or of him, or of anything of it, or all of it? Uh, My dear master, I— no so much that i told him this very day you had reason to be secretly out of humour about her did you go so far well what said he to that his words were looking upon me steadfastly humphrey says he that woman is a woman of honour how do you think he is married to her or designs to marry her i can say nothing to the latter BUT HE SAYS HE CAN MARRY NO ONE WITHOUT YOUR CONSENT WHILE YOU ARE LIVING. IF HE SAID
5: SO MUCH, I KNOW HE SCORNS TO BREAK HIS WORD WITH ME. I AM SURE OF THAT. YOU ARE SURE OF THAT? WELL, THAT'S SOME COMFORT. THEN I HAVE NOTHING TO DO BUT TO SEE THE BOTTOM OF THIS MATTER DURING THIS PRESENT RUFFLE.
7: Ah, Humphrey, YOU ARE NOT ILL, I HOPE, SIR.
5: YES, A MAN IS VERY ILL THAT'S IN A VERY ILL HUMOR. To be a father is to be in care for one whom you oftener disoblige than please by that very care. Oh, that sons could know the duty to a father before they themselves are fathers. But, perhaps, you'll say now that I am one of the happiest fathers in the world? But I assure you, that of
7: the very happiest is not a condition to be envied. Sir, your pain arises not from the thing itself, but your particular sense of it you are over-fond nay give me leave to say you are unjustly apprehensive from your fondness my master beville never disobliged you and he will i know he will do everything you ought to expect he
5: won't take all this money with the girl for aught i know he will forsooth have so much moderation as to think he ought not to force his liking
7: for any consideration he is to marry her, not you. He is to live with her, not you, sir. I know not what to
5: think. But I know nothing can be more miserable than to be in this doubt. Follow me. I must come to some resolution.
0: Exeunt. Scene three. Beville Junior's lodgings. Enter Tom and Phyllis.
1: Well, madam, if you must speak with Master Myrtle, you shall. He is now with my master in the library.
8: But you must leave me alone with him, for he can't make me a present, nor I so handsomely take anything from him before you. It would not be decent.
1: It will be very decent indeed for me to retire and leave my mistress with another man.
8: He is a gentleman, and will treat
1: one properly. I believe so, but, however, I won't be far off, and therefore will venture to trust you. I'll call him to you.
0: Exit Tom
8: what a deal of pother and sputter hears between my mistress and mr myrtle from mere punctilio i could any hour of the day get her to her lover and i would do it but she forsooth would allow no plot to get him but if he can come to her i know she would be glad of it i must therefore do her an acceptable violence and surprise her into his arms I am sure I go by the best rule imaginable. If she were my maid, I should think her the best servant in the world for doing so by me.
0: Enter Myrtle and Tom.
8: Oh, sir, you and Mr. Beville are fine gentlemen to let a lady remain under such difficulties as my poor mistress, and no attempt to set her at liberty or release her from the danger of being instantly married to Simberton. Tom has been
4: telling. But what is to be done?
8: What is to be done when a man can't come at his mistress? Why, can't you fire our house or the next house to us to make us run out and you take us?
4: How, Mrs. Phillips?
8: Ay, let me see that rogue deny to fire a house, make a riot, or any other little thing when there were no other way to come at me.
1: I am obliged to you, madam.
8: Why? Don't we hear every day of people hanging themselves for love, and won't they venture the hazard of being hanged for love? Ah, were I a man!
4: What manly thing would you have me undertake, according to your ladyship's notion of a man?
8: Only be at once what, one time or other, you may be, and wish to be, or must be. Dear
4: girl, talk plainly to me, and consider I, in my condition, can't be in very good humor you say to be at once what i must be
8: ay ay i mean no more than to be an old man i saw you do it very well at the masquerade in a word old sir Geoffrey simberton is every hour expected in town to join in the deeds and settlements for marrying mr simberton he is half blind half lame half deaf half dumb though as to his passions and desires he is as warm and ridiculous as when in the heat of youth
1: come to the business and don't keep the gentleman in suspense for the pleasure of being courted as you serve me
8: i saw you at the masquerade act such a one to perfection go and put on that very habit and come to our house as sir Geoffrey. there's not one there but myself knows his person i was born in the parish where he is lord of the manor i have seen him often and often at church in the country do not hesitate but come hither they will think you bring certain security against mr myrtle and you bring mr myrtle leave the rest to me i leave this with you and expect they don't i told you know you they think you out of town would you had as good be for ever if you lose this opportunity i must be gone i know i am wanted at home my dear Phyllis. Mm.
0: Catches and kisses her and gives her money.
8: Ah, oh, fie! My kisses are not my own. You have committed violence, but I'll carry him to the right owner.
0: Tom kisses her. To Tom.
8: Come see me downstairs. And leave the lover to think of his last game for the prize.
0: Exeunt Tom and Phyllis
8: i think i
4: will instantly attempt this wild expedient the extravagance of it will make me less suspected and it will give me opportunity to assert my own right to lucinda without whom i cannot live but i am so mortified at this conduct of mine towards poor beville he must think meanly of me i know not how to reassume myself and be in the spirit enough for such an adventure as this yet i must attempt it if it be only to be near Lucinda under her present perplexities, and sure, the next delight to transport with the fair is to relieve her in her house of care.
0: Exit. End of Act Four.